0: Good morning. Happy New Year's Eve to everyone. Come on. Hello. Good. Why am I, am I to yell? Well, you know it is the end of the year, so we're we're a little bit tired. So <laughs> it's good to see everybody out this morning. Uh, of course, this again is our uh, fundamentals of faith class. Uh, I've got the uh, uh, this. This morning is going to be the distinctive nature of the church. Of course, last week we discussed the divine nature of the church, um, and we looked at, you know, how, you know, Christ, when He came into the the world, you know, establishes concept of the church. Um, you know, He discussed its, you know, being the kingdom, uh, being present, that it would, uh, He, you know, was bringing it with power coming from heaven. Um, you know that would be established when the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles and and gave them uh, you know the abilities to the miraculous gifts that He gave them, and then it would be established in Jerusalem. And again, ultimately, the church was purchased by Jesus. So this morning we're going to look at how <clears throat> what the church actually is, <clears throat> and uh, just go through some descriptions this morning. So uh, when we look in the New Testament, the the word church. Is found over 100 times I think 114 is if my count is correct um, and of course as we mentioned last week you know Jesus brought this concept up in Matthew 16 you know after Peter's confession he's you know he said upon that confession he would build his church um, that is not a term that we're we find anywhere in the Old Testament so there's an entirely new concept um, When you think about church, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Body of people. What does society think of when they hear church? What do they think of? A building, right? Most generally, you know, that's the first thing that a lot of people think of is that church down there or this church here or, you know, a structure. And we're, you know, we kind of lose sight of it's the group of people, right? Um, And I think that is one of the things that, you know, creates a lot of um, confusion. Um, And I think a lot of people really, I guess, don't take in the significance of the church being, you know, the the body of believers. Um, So, you know, in order for us to really, I guess, understand the nature and the significance of that word church, you know, we've got to really dive into the word and, and understand what the Bible says about it. Uh, Of course when you look at the the Greek and I'm not a Greek scholar so uh, ekklesia is the the Greek word for church uh, and it's a compound I think of of, uh, two uh, Greek phrases but basically means to be called out of Um, so essentially we could be the called out or the called out ones Um, what is that when you think about that when you think about that meaning, what does that tell? What is that, what's I guess what is what does that really bring home to you then? Being called out. What do we call it? Called out of the world, right? Called out of darkness, called out of sin. Um, so, you know, there is a lot of there's a lot of power in just that phrase, church. Um, we look at first Peter one. Uh, chapter 2, you know, it, it, that's what he says. He says, for us to be called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Um, in Acts, um, you know, mentions in Acts 26 that we would be turned from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Um, and then finally in Colossians 1, it says, we would be uh, delivered from the, the power or domain of darkness and conveyed or transferred into the kingdom. So that's a, you know, a really significant um, element that we really have to think about when we look at the description of, of and definition of the church. Um, that, you know, and you th- also think about there's no other calling or no other way that we will enter the church than through the gospel, right? You know, that, that's another thing that we've really got to think about. And we'll dive into this as we get farther into the the series of lessons. Um, but, you know, there's a, a plethora of understandings, I think, in the, well, I would just say, quote, unquote, Christian world uh, right now on how you actually enter the church. Um, and if you talk to, you know, some other folks out in uh, uh, different beliefs or different Christian understandings, I guess you would say, uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding. You know, you often hear uh, that, you know, if you fall on your knees and, and pray to the believer's prayer to Jesus that you enter the church at that time. But I keep reading in my Bible, and I don't see how that's how we enter into a relationship with God, right? Um, and, you know, that's something that is to me is very scary when... You look at how many people have a complete misunderstanding of how you even enter into a relationship with God, how you become a believer. Um, You know, I think it's, again, it's vital for us to to dive back in again what is the church itself? Um, The church, again, is composed of who? Christians, people who have been saved. Um, And then, you know, of course, again, Acts gives us all you know many of the descriptions on how we are saved um, I think it's it's really interesting you know that you know we're also called saints um, you know there's a lot of different again different uh, beliefs that you know have a sainthood or whatnot. Uh, and, you know you have to be some kind of spiritual superhero to attain, obtain that status but the Bible doesn't mention that at all. It mentions that if we're in a right relationship with God, if we've you know, put on Christ, if we've been covered with his blood, we are saved, we're in the church, and we're also saints. Um, and to me, that's, uh, that's really powerful. Um, 1 Corinthians 1 says, To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, to be called saints. Um, 1 Corinthians 6 People in the church are sanctified, set apart, uh, you know, when they obey the gospel, when we are are sanctified. Um, We're going to be looking at um, some descriptions of how, you know, again, the the church, when you think about it, and when Jesus even brought the concept up, you know, again, we never saw the church mentioned at all in the Old Testament, Um, you know, and he started bringing up that concept, that phrase. So, you know, a lot of people were like, what is the church, you know, and we see him using a lot of different descriptions, uh, from daily life that to help really, uh, help us understand what the, what the church is all about. So we want to look at eight different descriptions, uh, this morning and, uh, hopefully that'll help us dive into a little bit deeper, you know, what the church actually is, uh, let's Turn over to First Corinthians twelve. Be a bit of a lengthy reading, but I do want to I want to run through this. First Corinthians twelve, uh, verses twelve through twenty-eight. This is one of the first descriptions where Christ or uh, you know the Holy Spirit mentions through Paul's writing that the the church is a body. It says for as the starting in verse twelve, for as the body is one and has many parts, and all are all of the parts are that of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. So the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. In spite of this, it still belongs to the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, in spite of it, it it still belongs to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But now God has placed the parts, each of them, in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Now there are many parts at one body. So the eye can't say to the head, I don't need you. Or again, to the, the head to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, all the more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. And those parts of the body that we think to be less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts have a, a better presentation. But our presentable parts have no need of clothing. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable so that there would be no division in the body. But that the, the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice in it. Now that now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it, and God has placed those in the church. So again, here's you know one, one description of the body that or the of the church that you know is is uh, second nature to us. You know, the fact that we look at how many people are in here right now. You know, we all have different traits. We all have different personalities, different thoughts. We all have different abilities. We all have different weaknesses. But guess what? When we come together, you know, we can shore up each other's weaknesses. We can help each other in temptations. You're going to be stronger in one area than I am. I'll be stronger in one area than you are. But when we collectively come together, you know, we can accomplish the goal and the, the work that's, that God's put in front of us. And, you know, I think that's something that, um, you know, is always very important for us to understand and thinking through, you know, whether, you know, the, the Bible tells us about all the different uh, talents or abilities that we have. You know, some of us have, you know, a lot. Some of us have less. Some of us, you know, are, are more, I guess you would say, more, as you mentioned, more more presentable Uh gifts, more glamorous, I guess you'd say, um, but they all, you know, have a vital role in, in the working of the church itself. Um, just thinking about myself, you know, I've got old football injuries, so, you know, some little insignificant, seemingly insignificant part that's hidden inside of a joint, you know, and that connective tissue is, is damaged and the, the uh, cartilage surrounding bones is damaged, you've suddenly become aware of what, <laughs> what those insignificant parts, how significant they can be. Um, so, you know, that, and that's something we always have to think about. You know, think about how often do you really think about your pinky toe? Not very often until you stub it in the middle of the night, right, or jam it into something and it breaks. Well, it's very significant at that point. Uh, but again, he's just showing us, you know, how significant the, all parts are in the church. Uh, the next one I'm going to look at is the church being described as a family. Um, let's turn over to Romans chapter 8. I got my handy-dandy timer up here this morning, so I'm going to make sure we get through all this in the appropriate amount of time. So Romans chapter 8. Um, get my bearings. You eight, verses 8 through 8, or 16 through uh, 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our Spirit that we are God's children, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So here's a, you know a really significant element that we have to keep in mind that you know when we enter a relationship with God, when we when we take on Christ as our, our Lord and Savior you know, we suddenly become a joint heir with him. We become his brother, even though he's still our king. Um, And that has always been very significant in my mind, just to think about how, you know, how God looks at us once we truly obey him. Um, Thinking about, you know, when, when Jesus was walking through a lot of the, um you know the parables you know the the uh, prodigal son again still comes to my mind um you know we're all as sinful people you know we all have always have been or are still um you know taking on that prodigal son role but when you look at god you know always seeking us seeking that relationship with us again um that that to me just just tells me how much he, he truly does love us and you know in spite of our imperfections and whatnot. Any thoughts or comments? I've kind of been just ramming through here real fast, but has is, is anybody got any thoughts so far on, on any of these concepts? The next one I want to look at is the kingdom itself. Um, church again is described as as a kingdom. Um, one of the most significant ones I think about is in, you know, when Jesus, you know, he kept mentioning this, uh, you know, that his, he would establish his kingdom. Um, what was back in, in his day? What was, what were the Jews looking for when they were thinking of the Messiah? And they were looking. Exactly. And they wanted somebody to squash the Roman empire, right? You know, to reestablish, uh, as God's chosen people, um, you know, from Moses' day, you know, and that's what they were really looking for again. Of course, they'd had, you know, what 400 and some odd years of silence, you know, through uh, um, after the uh, prophetic days and whatnot, you know, when when God had, you know, all the both kingdoms had been uh, had been overrun and and put into captivity. Uh, but you know, again, they were still looking for that earthly uh, kingdom and not. Again, a spiritual kingdom, and I think that's why Jesus, you know, spent so much time uh, talking about this whole concept of a church. Um, and then, you know, one of the most significant things I think about is, uh, you know, when he's standing before Pilate in uh, John, you know, and Pilate is, you know, questioning him about that. Uh, John 18, uh, verse 36, you know, and he just flat out says it. He said, "My kingdom is not of this world." Said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom does not have its origin here. So again, here's this concept of, you know this is a spiritual uh, a spiritual kingdom and not a not an earthly kingdom. Uh, thinking about a kingdom though, what what's the hierarchy look like in a kingdom? I have a king, so it's not a democracy, right? And again, we have a king, and it's not a democracy, is it? You know, we don't, God's laid out a set of rules, and, you know, He's given us an open invitation. He's already paid the price for us. You know, that's the thing. We don't even have an entrance fee. Um, you know, I don't have to take the punishment that I deserve now, but I will do what God says, or what? I won't be in the kingdom. Um, but again it's not like it's a, an earthly you know monarchy or whatnot, where you know I'm not one of the peasants who are being oppressed all the time what am I? I'm being lifted up and I'm being lifted up as a co-heir with Christ uh, which is a pretty wild concept to think about it, or it is in my mind at least But uh, exactly and then also you know what our work? When you think about it, that also, you know, what our work is. You know, in an earthly kingdom, what are you doing? You're, you're working for the king. You're, you're creating more riches for the king. Um, our work, we're trying to bring more souls to, to the Lord, right? Um, so I think, you know, that again, God's wanting us to bring. He's wanting us. To have that return, eternal relationship with Him, and He also wants us to bring as many people with Him. Um, you know, and that's where I think the riches will be when, you know, He wants to He wants to see as many souls eternally with Him in His presence um, forever. And I, you know, again, that's one of the major things that I think is different in in the two. Exactly. Right. And again, it's a totally different uh, concept than, than what you know, most people would think about again in the world. Um, the next one I'm going to look at, I'm halfway through. So, the church being described as a bride. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, uh, last part of the verse, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Again, the Bible, you know, looks at the relationship with, between Christ and, and the church, you know, in the same realm as the marriage relationship between a man and, and his bride. Um, you know, that's what the latter part of Ephesians chapter five, you know, when it's talking about that relationship, husbands and wives, but ultimately, you know, we're talking about Christ and his church, um, you know, talking about Christ loving him, loving the church so much that he gave himself and sacrificed himself for her. Um, then there's also again in, in, uh, Second Corinthians 11, you know, that the church is to be pure, to be that pure virgin, not having a spot or wrinkle, uh, not having a blemish, you know, being holy and without blemish. Um, just think about, you know, I mean, he, he talked about it in, uh, you know, Matthew chapter 25, uh, talking about the, the bridegroom, you know, when we were talking about being ready, you know, said. um, also that, you know, again, that we're married uh, to Christ. So, again, there's this thinking about, I guess, thinking about our earthly relationships. I mean, what's the what's the most intimate or close relationship will any of us will ever have on this earth? That's right. We're going to be one flesh, right? We're going to be, that's the closest earthly relationship we'll ever have, you know, closer than what we have with our parents or what we have with our children, what we have with our you know, best friends or siblings. It's that, that husband-wife relationship. And again, I think that's another description uh, showing us how close of a relationship we need to have uh, with God, and, but then also that close relationship that Christ has with the church. Um, one of the other ones, number five. So the church is also described in the New Testament as a temple. Uh, again, 1 Corinthians uh, 3 talks about us being the temple of God, the church being the temple of God. Um, And then there's a couple different descriptions of that, you know, individually in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, um, and then also in, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, you know, that's talking about individually that, you know, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, and, you know, when it's talking about some sexual sin that you, know, you don't defile the temple of God right you don't defile the temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, but then also in Peter uh, 1 Peter 2 he talks about the church being a spiritual house uh, where the, you know, the, the uh, holy priesthood you know, where we offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. So again uh, there's two different concepts there where the individual physical body, is a temple for the Holy Spirit, but then collectively the church, again, is the temple of God. Um, Let's Let's read, let's flip over to Ephesians 2. Let me read that one real quick. Ephesians 2, uh, 21 and 22. The whole building is being fitted together in him. Is growing into a holy sanctuary in the Lord, and whom you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. So again, that emphasis on, uh, you know, the temple being, uh, the church being a temple, you know, where the Holy Spirit dwells, where God dwells. So again, is, that's another important concept for us to think about. Uh, number six, the church is depicted in the New Testament as a vineyard. Um, Again, Jesus, you know, used used the vineyard um, several times in some parables. You know, he talked about, you know, working in his vineyard, um, talking about his members of his kingdom being laborers in the vineyard. Um, what does that also start to imply with us about the work of the church? The church. Right. It's, I'm not a. I've never worked in a vineyard, but I've worked in a lot of crops in my life, and. Uh, that's not the most fun thing ever. You know, it takes a lot of work, uh, getting up early and getting in late and a lot of sweat, hot, cold, dirty. If you deal with animals, you get some excrement on you that's not as fun as you would like, but uh, you know, there's some, there's a lot of work involved, uh, you know, when we're tending to a crop. And that, right, and that requires a lot of work and a lot of effort on our part individually and collectively, right? Uh, So again, that's one of the things I was really wanting to think about that one is, you know, it's, we accept Christ's invitation, you know, we take on His, you know, we take on Him in baptism, we enter into that relationship, we're in the church, we're saved, we're saints now, um, but yet now it's time for us to get to work, right? Work also implies a lot of not fun things. You know, you think about, you know, some of the things, you know, again, if, uh, you know, my dad, again, he was uh, an elder in the church for many years. uh, One of the congregations he went to years ago. And, you know, I would see how much time and effort was spent, how much, how many sleepless nights he had, you know, when he was concerned about, you know, the, the body that he was overseeing at the time. You think about the deacons of the church. When you think about, you know, the the folks that assist with teaching uh, benevolence, you know, all those things, we're always sacrificing something for the good of the body, but then also, you know, reaching out to those who are are still lost, right? So it takes effort on our part. It's not something that, you know, we didn't just hit the jackpot and then it's, you know, like... uh, but easy street from here on out no it you know that's the beginning of, of our work um, so again that's another concept we think about here's one uh, the church is described in the new testament as a flock how many of you have ever tended sheep i haven't but uh, i've dealt with animals before Go you raised them when you were younger and how much effort and how much fun was that that's right. You know, and it, you think about uh, that we're called the flock of God. And, you know, Jesus talks about that he is, you know, the the good shepherd. Um, John 10, I look at that one. Um, he mentions that, in starting in verse 7 down through about uh, uh, verse 18, you know, he talks about how how he is the door to the sheep, how the sheep know him, and he knows his sheep. Uh, he talks about that. You know, he's the good shepherd. He mentions that uh, about three times in the in this passage. You know, he talks about the fact that um, you know he's willing to lay down his life for his sheep. then um, also, you know, he talks about the sheep going astray. Um, and again, as you mentioned. You know, there's not a, a fence in, the, in this area that can handle that can contain a sheep. Well, think about us. You know, uh, how quickly am I the that one lost sheep out of the flock of a hundred? And you know, think about my life. How quickly I can stumble and fall in my walk. You know, and thinking about the the sin in, the, in my life, the temptations that you know maybe I necessarily can't overcome. Um, but again, helpless you know, you think in the spiritual realm, you think about how helpless we are on our own. I mean, I don't have a chance against Satan if I'm standing here by myself. But again, if I'm covered with Christ, you know. Right. But what you just described, I mean, is mankind, you know, how easily we're led astray, how gullible we are, you know, again, how weak we are. Um, Exactly. (laughs) That's right. That's right. But again, to me, it's I still personalize that. You know, when I try to think about um, how much love God actually has for me, and when I put myself in the fact, you know, I say, you know, if I was the only human on earth that fell and sinned in all of mankind, all of human history. Jesus would still have left heaven and come and did what he did just for me. You know, and when you put yourself in that in that light, to me that becomes much more powerful to understand just how much love that God has for us and how much you know, how much he desires to have that relationship with us. And that's how it works. Exactly. Any other thoughts, comments? All right, my last one. I've got just a couple minutes to wrap this up. I'm impressed with myself this time. So the church is is also described as an army. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, or chapter 10, uh, 3 through 6, it describes that the church is engaged in a war, but not a fleshly war, but against spiritual a host of weaknesses led by the devil um, you know we also mentioned in uh, um, I'll tell you what let's just flip over to uh, Ephesians 6 let's look at that one real quick and it's talking starting in verse 10 it says finally be strengthened by the Lord by his vast strength put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist the evil, resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything, to take your stand. Stand for, therefore with, a, with truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take the shield of faith and with it, you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. So again, this description of warfare, you know, I'm not a veteran, but my, my father was uh, was in conflict in the late 60s. Uh, Probably, I think we have, probably have a few veterans here, and you all understand uh, what's involved in that. Um, looking at not necessarily um, military terms, but you know, just thinking about it in our our day-to-day lives, um, you know, we have to be prepared for uh, conflict. You know, we have to be prepared for, um, un, I guess. Being uncomfortable at times, you know, suffering, whatnot, and again, that's another thing I think that uh, we have to think about when we're we're looking at at the church. And that was that ties into one thing I wanted to bring up. So First Corinthians sixteen thirteen, be alert, stand firm in the faith, be brave and strong. So again, this this concept that you know, we const we have to be be a ready. You know, to again, to defend ourselves, but then also, um, you know, to to put down the work of of Satan and um, be brave, be strong, stand firm in the faith, be alert. So we're constantly having to keep our guard up. Uh, You think about when you get complacent, what happens? In the battlefield, that probably gets you killed. In spiritual realms, we're going to fall to temptation, right? Right. but we got to be be able to stand up again. It's going to take some effort on our part, you know. But um, in the end, you know, God is if if we do our part, you know, if we stay alert, we don't get complacent. Um, what what's the end result is God is continually covering our imperfections and keeping that right relationship with Him. So, Yeah, have you ever been in that unfortunate situation where somebody looks at you and says, I thought you said you were a Christian? I mean, how does that not drive right through your heart and twist? You know, it's like the fact that, you know, that's the perception that I presented uh, to unbelievers in the world, and what if that's the only interaction they ever have? You know, what kind of failure have I been? When When things are going really well or you get really tired... That's the two times that I notice that I have a lot of trouble. Uh, But yeah, like you say, when when you're in the heat of it, you know, and you're you've got all your senses uh, that you know full strength, it's a little easier to to overcome those and and see when you're being attacked. But again, and again, when he was completely exhausted, uh, and I. Right. And that's a, that's a whole other sidebar, but we could think about how just actually how strong Jesus was in physical form um, in that sense. Um, last page, and I'm going to get this done before the, the second bell rings. Um, looking again at the church. So there's three different, um, I guess, senses in which the church is used. Um, we've got a universal sense. Of the church you know when Jesus said again in Matthew 16 he says I will build my church again he's talking about collectively Uh, Jesus purchased the church with his own blood Jesus is the head of the church and again gave himself for the church so that is you know all believers Um, he talks about you know again that's that's a universal sense Um, then there's also this this thought of a local sense of the church we uh, look at Acts 13, 14. Uh, the church in, that was in Antioch. He also mentions in 14, he says, when they had appointed elders in every church. Uh, Acts 20 sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Again, so that's going to be, you know, a local, again, just a, an individual congregation. And then we've also got this regional sense. When you talk about the churches of Asia greet you in in, uh, Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians. Um, Churches throughout Galilee and Samaria, again in Acts 9, that's kind of a regional description. Um, The Churches of Asia that, you know, when John's describing this in, in Revelation. So there's, I guess, three different ways we could think about it. Again, just our individual congregation We could think about it regionally, and we can think about it universally. Um, Has anybody ever gone to another country, like in the mission field or whatnot? Is that not one of the most, uh, to me, I've been on a a few of those, and, you know, when you worship together, you know, you may not necessarily understand each other's language, but especially when we're singing, um, the blending of those different languages in song, you know, and then getting to know each other, seeing our our similarities, our differences, but you know, ultimately, what are we trying to do? We're trying to serve God. And to me, that that was one of the more powerful things I experienced uh, in that was that, you know, people are people, doesn't matter what country you're from, uh, we're all the same. And uh, to me, that that was, again, a a powerful thought for me to, to look at. Um. final thoughts here so conclusion again you know we're called out we're, you know God's called the church out of the world and the, the folks that are in the church are those who have obeyed the gospel again this concept of us being saints I think is something we need to think through and and really internalize um, you know God gives us a description of the church um, you know he gives us Uh, again, helps us try to to think about it in earthly terms so that we can really internalize and understand what the church actually is. Again, there's only one church. Christ established it. Christ paid for it. Christ is ruling it right now. Uh, There's one body. There's one family. One kingdom. One bride. One temple. One vineyard. One flock and one army. And again, for me... Uh, to be able to have that ultimate relationship, you know, that eternal relationship with God in heaven I have to be in the church so I have to do uh, all the things that, that Christ has, has called for me to do any uh oh yes, I've got a minute and a half I can't believe this anybody got any thoughts or, or comments before we, well I'm going to call that a victory and I'm going to give us a minute and 15 seconds to get out of here before the uh second bell rings thank you all for your uh, your comments and and uh, participation this morning